Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. I am your host, Keith Cummings, and I am so happy to be here with you in this space talking about Dynasty for the next hour, not talking about week seven waiver wire, not looking at week seven rankings where I try to find 24 running backs to rank as starters. Mostly I'm excited though, because of who I've got here with me. It's a Gibbs week. We're always excited when it's a Gibbs week. And we've got Matt Harmon from Yahoo Fantasy, from Reception Perception, the guy who hosts a podcast with Austin Eckler. You know who he is. I don't need to tell you any more about him. Matt, thank you so much for being here today. What up, boys? Uh, very excited about this. Jacob, you know, always excited to, to go back and forth with you. And, and Heath, it's always great to be with another member of the Football Guys coaching tree. So uh, very, very excited for this today. I think I think Gibbs is technically on the Football Guys coaching tree. Um, he's he wasn't actually at Football Guys, but but he's there yes. now. And and you would be uh, I mean, you may, may not be surprised, but a high percentage of the guests on FFT Dynasty so far come from the Football Guys tree. Gibbs, how are you doing today? I am great, man. You know me. I've been excited for this episode for like a month. <laughs> Just looking forward to getting mad on talking about receivers. And like we've already said, it's so good to get away from the week to week grind. We've got so many exciting guys to talk about today. Like I'm psyched. So man, I I am certain that 90% of the people that are watching slash listening know all about reception perception already. But but just take a couple of minutes, tell people what you do specifically with the wide receiver charting and, and how they can be a part of it. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm the lunatic that about, you know, 10, 11 years ago decided to dedicate my life to uh, charting wide receiver films. So you all don't have to out there. Um, yeah, so reception perception is... When I go in over an eight-game sample for NFL players and college players, I chart every single route that they run uh, every on every snap where they line up because I think that's where we have to start receiver discussion. Where are they positionally on the field? And and not just you know slot and outside, which matters a lot, but there's a big difference between like your big X receivers and you know these flanker guys that move around pre-snap, especially in today's NFL offense. So starting with that and then going on to the route data where, again, I'm charting every single route that they run, how often they get open against press, man, zone coverage, how often they get open on each individual route type. So really trying to not just obviously break receivers into buckets and like which guys fit into which positional archetype, but really obviously it's, it's trying to spot these guys who are performing well in isolation because as much as like and we all love all wide receiver stats but we know that they're very inherently dependent on outside variables like quarterback play the role that that i mentioned um what type of offenses are they playing in the coaching and, and deployment and everything so reception perception is really trying to isolate the wide receiver and just understanding the one thing that they can control which is how often do 
they get open. And even that obviously is is kind of dependent on, on other variables as well. So again, really reception perception, you can find all the stuff receptionperception.com. The uh, we have three tiers of subscription. I'm doing in-season charting data, which is what we're going to talk about here. So a little kind of like snapshots within the season. So again, really the, the goal is to try to isolate receiver performance and and really understand them as as individual players. Outstanding. Now we usually start off with three questions for our guests. And you know, I I, I have a friend who Longest running fantasy league. He's one of those guys who's always churning the roster, always making like 17 trade offers a week. And, and his tagline, it seems like, is don't fall in love with them. And I, I don't follow that at all. Like, I absolutely fall in love with some of these guys and watching them play. And I just wonder, like, who is the guy when you're charting wide receivers that that watching him at his craft is just a joy? Oh, well, number one, we could sit here and do the whole hour on that. Like guys that I really just like watching and, and I'm so with you, Heath, look, I don't, I don't disparage anybody, how they play the game, whether it's fantasy dynasty, whatever. But for me, I'm not trying to play this thing. Like it's some faux stock market. Like, Ooh, this is the moment when we can sell this guy at it. Cause this is at his peak. Yo, I, I like players, man. Right. Like I got into fantasy because I liked football. Right. Like, and, and I love to watch players, um, I, I love to kind of, again, understand players and and really put the whole piece of the puzzle together. So for me, I like having guys on my team that I like. And and I don't care if this is the moment to sell them high or whatever. Like, again, I'm, I'm with you. I, I like the player part of it. So for me, there's been a ton of guys over the years that I've really admired. But I think if I'm, I got to give you just one player, it, it, it has been and remains Stefan Diggs. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's he's not a, a sleeper at this point, right? But at the beginning of reception perception, when he first came into the league, he was putting up you know top five success rate versus man and press numbers prior to really that big breakout in Buffalo. Like we all knew he was good in Minnesota, but you know uh, RP was kind of screaming like, "No, this is an elite level receiver, an elite level separator." And we have obviously seen that come to fruition from a quarterback wide receiver marriage in Buffalo there, and still to this day, man, I just. Every, everything about his game is is so flawless to me. I think he's a clear-cut top four receiver, bare minimum in the NFL right now, and, and he remains at the height of his powers. So those guys that sort of you know pop at that like potential elite level before it comes together from a production standpoint, you know, AJ Brown was that way. Brandon Ayuk, I think, is and and has been that way. So kind of the, those that archetype of player is my favorite. And I don't know, Jacob, is this way as well. Like when there's a guy. Um, and you mentioned Ayuk. I think I think he, that was him the last year, totally. maybe six months or a year. But when there's a guy that we think is better than everybody else thinks he is and hasn't quite reached that potential, and then we see you tweeting or writing about how no, this guy's special. This guy, I got, for me, the guy I remember was Tyler Lockett. Yeah, um, and it, it was several years ago. But like, who's that guy right now? And I'm sure there's several of them. But who's one guy right now that? hasn't quite hit the the high-end potential that, that you know that he has. I think it probably could have been Ayuk like three weeks ago, but no longer. Right. Yeah, I think Ayuk would have been the perfect answer prior to this year that, like, again, he is performing like a true number one, top 10 type of receiver in isolation. I think we're all kind of seeing that now as he becomes probably after Christian McCaffrey, the second most important skill position player on that roster. It's tough to not name George Kittle because of what he does in the run and pass game. But, you know... I think right now, right, there's so many it's, – it's hard to say like who the fantasy community isn't in on because there's so much <laughs> attention paid, right, and like everybody's got a take on everybody. 
I think Chris Olave is probably the guy that will be next in that sort of group of what I said, where we all agree he's a good player, but I think he could potentially be like a top 10 player. I think we'll talk about Jahan Dotson later. He's mm-hmm. definitely someone to potentially think about in this group, along with some of the rookies too. I think Josh Downs is another one that is sort of in that Tyler Lockett mold where it might take a few years. Um, and, and the last guy I mentioned, I'm rattling off like a ton of names right now. And, and sorry, that, that's like what I do. But um, Michael Pittman, uh, and, and he's sort of kind of coming into the, into fold more with this year, especially when Minshew's been under center. But I think that guy's another one that, in the right circumstances, he might not have the ceiling of a Diggs or a Brown or an Ayuk, but I think he's like a really, really good player and uh, was way underdrafted this year. You know, I, I, I got saved me a little angst at least for thirty minutes, Jacob, because you know that I've been a lot higher on Jahan Dotson, and this has not been a fun first month no. to start the season. <laughs> no, it has not. I've been really looking forward to talking to Matt about Dotson specifically because like I'm hoping somebody can help us feel a little bit better about him <laughs> this has all been great to hear from Matt so far like Stefan Diggs is somebody whose reception perception really turned my view on him around this summer and same with Michael Pittman I think you had Pittman like 10th or 11th on your youngest receivers like under the age of 25 ahead of some really really good names like Amonra St. Brown I think just for actual like real life value and then both those guys have been much better this year than they were last year. I think people were a little bit down, like Diggs. People were thinking maybe he's kind of hitting the cliff or coming approaching it, but like, no, he's been unreal this year. Like you said, he's still yeah absolute best at almost everything. It feels like right now, it's so, yeah. weird. It feels like every year people try to kind of talk themselves out of Diggs. Um, even this year, it's like, all right, well, you know, it's like about like Garrett Wilson, and obviously Wilson, I think, could have had a really truly special season yeah. if Rodgers had played. Obviously, you know, it's kind of not fair to look back on that fantasy pick with with that in mind. But you know, it's just I think people get bored of Diggs because he's not the flashiest, right? He's not a um, you know a Debo Samuel who breaks a ton of tackles or, or stuff like that, but. He just is so good, and he's got such a mind meld with with uh, with Josh Allen that he's a guy that probably if we redrafted today, I think he would be a top five pick maybe, and I think that would be pretty deserved. Yeah. So this is a dynasty show, and so we spend, and will on this show as well, a lot m- most of our time talking about the younger guys, the first-year wide receivers, the second-year wide receivers, but we've had a pretty fantastic start to the season. Like Diggs, not quite 30, from these 30-plus-year-old wide receivers – not DeAndre Hopkins. We'll get to him in a minute. But is there something that when you're charting these guys and you've done it year over year over year that you kind of start to see in the older wide receivers that that might be a sign that the cliff is approaching? Or do we just have to wait for the production to fall off? Well, it's really difficult. I actually think, Heath, this is a great question because I think of the one thing that I'm the least confident in projecting with reception perception, it's age cliffs because mm-hmm. – there have been times where I think Des Bryant's a great example. His 2016 season was still very good in reception perception, but then his 2017 season, he fell completely off the cliff. And like he was, uh, he was released by Dallas, and he didn't sign with any team until November. With I think it was with the Saints, and he tore his Achilles, and he never ended up playing. But I can remember the like, I was this was before I was with Yahoo. Is actually like right kind of between I was going from NFL Network to to Yahoo and I remember just like the breathless conversation about Des Bryant on air for NFL Network and I was like 
man, if I wasn't like in the middle of a contract thing, like I, get me on one of these shows and let me tell everybody that like Dez is, is cooked. Right. Um, but there was no warning sign really there before that happened, like in the previous season's data. Um, and then another example is like, you know, Hopkins we'll talk about later and I'll, I'll save my specific notes for him, but like Keenan Allen, this past year, it, like from 2020 to 2021 to then uh, in 2022, there was like a steady sort of drop off in his mm-hmm. success rate versus man coverage. And then specifically in 22, he he fell to kind of around like the league average when we're talking about a guy who at his peak was special, like top five consistently every year in, in success rate versus man. Then you kind of had to ask yourself, though, like, all right, is this the beginning of the the decline or is this really just an injury ruined sample here in 2022? And and that's hard to account for. Right. Because you don't truly know the answer to that. I bet in fantasy that it probably maybe was the start of a decline. And clearly that has been an incorrect bet. Right. So it's it's the hardest thing to know. I do think with older receivers, a great guy to talk about is Adam Thielen where role and deployment matters so much. Um, And we can maybe save the whole Thielen-specific discussion, but like we're not having this conversation about Adam Thielen and his production if he's still playing as a perimeter receiver. The fact that they've moved him into that like big slot role is really can be something that saves your career if you're a guy that is sort of declining physically at the receiver position. Well, and we saw Larry Fitzgerald late in his career kind of thrive in that type of role, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. great example. He's kind of like the the poster boy of that. If you want your older receiver to like extend his career, you want them to sort of um, buy into the Larry Fitzgerald thing, which, by the way, I say buy in is, is a serious part of it because some of these dudes do not want to do the dirty work uh, that, that comes with being right. that big slot receiver. You know, I think Bruce Arians had to like sit Larry down and be like, I know that you were a was he the third overall pick when he was drafted? Like, I know you are a former top five draft pick and you are like the dude, but I promise you I can extend your career three, four years if you want to get in here and like block your ass off a little bit and like, you know, get 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 into the gritty stuff. I think Thielen's been good to do that in Carolina this year. So, um, you know, that that can be a thing where some of these guys want to do that. And some and look, it's you're working in the trash. I, I would understand if you don't want to do it, but but it does help extend your career. To Matt's point about it being tough to predict the fall off, Ryan Heath of Fantasy Points wrote an article this summer where he looked at like breakouts and fall offs at each position group. And I believe a wide receiver fall off like late in the career was the hardest to predict, the most random of like any position's breakout or fallout age. And so it's just like, yeah, it's there have been lots of guys where the cliff just comes fast and there's not much you can do about it. I'm I'm curious, are you worried about Tyler Lockett at all? Because his Parada is a lot worse this year, but I think that might just be a product of the offense. Yeah, I think their offense has been weird so far. Um, where you know they're working without their two starting offensive tackles for mm-hmm. most of the season, and like mm-hmm. they've really had to troubleshoot and problem solve that in real time. And I think Shane Waldron, who I have a lot of respect for as an offensive coordinator, has done a great job with that. So I'm kind of willing to see, like willing to kick that down the road with with yeah. my conclusions on lock it and with JSN and all of these guys uh, I want to kind of see what this offense looks like more at full capacity but yeah. um, it's at least something worth wondering could and he would be a great example because you loved what you saw from him last year like, right like I had this best success rate versus yeah. man of his entire career in 2022 so if he falls off this year which I don't think I've seen anything so far to indicate okay. that he is falling off as an individual but if he did um, like if and that's another thing right like as an older receiver you can look 
one way in September and you can look another way in December. Right. And, right. and it can go both, by the way, both ways, like positively and negatively. So if he did fall off, it would be a pretty big surprise and kind of like be a big proving point of what we're talking about right now. No. Well, and it, and it hits favor. Like they got, they got one of the tackles back this week and Tyler Lockett looked a lot like Tyler Lockett this week. So right. hopefully that offense gets right and he gets right with it. Let's take a short break and then we'll get into the young guys. Cause that's what everybody wants to talk about anyway. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too. With the name, your price tool from progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back, and I'm going to hand some of these questions over to Jacob Gibbs, and and thank you, Jacob, because you wrote up all the notes for the show. I got to take a little time off, not really, but during Monday Night Football last night, I do I do have one question though, Matt. Before Mr. Pukunakua asks a bunch of Pukunakua questions <laughs> uh, with these rookie wide receivers, how how much? And I I asked Matt Waldman this last week, like how much are you changing your opinion this early in the season? How much are the data points from them and what they're doing in the NFL versus what we thought about them six weeks ago? Are, are you cha- And I know obviously Puka's probably a guy you, you have to change a lot on. I'm really curious actually what, what Waldman said to this because I know for me, I think the data that you get on these guys in the NFL is so much more critical than what you did in college. And, and mm-hmm. I think I'm not willing to completely write off what they like their collegiate profile based on like especially the first six weeks of their career right i think full season like reception perception data i will move my opinion on a player a lot well then actually was just on reception perception the show last night with me and we talked about Ayuk as a guy that we weren't too impressed with his collegiate route running but then mm-hmm. i know for me i changed my opinion and I didn't actually have a reception perception profile on him because it was one of the two years where I didn't chart college prospects. So I, maybe I would have been felt differently about this, but I thought there were holes in his game as a route runner, but then you see him as a rookie and I'm like, Oh no, this guy can like play. And and there was obviously the weird doghouse stuff after that. But for the most part, we're, we're back on track with Ayuk. Obviously I think generally it's just, it's so much more critical. The stuff that you're seeing from them in the NFL, like, and, and that goes positively or negatively. I think especially negative stuff, like even in these early parts of, of the, the going here, is I'm willing to really move my opinion um, on it, like if we're seeing poor play to start, like in isolation. I'm like truly the isolation stuff, not as much like statistically or, or anything. But um, and then on the positive side of it, too, which obviously we'll talk about with Puka Nakua, um, it depends on how I, how I felt about them as a prospect, like and what level we're moving on. Well, and I think like to answer your question, I, Matt was basically if gotta be careful saying Matt Waldman was basically uh, 
if he if it was somebody that he thought was a surefire, no doubt about it, guy, he's not discounting them at all based on what's mm-hmm. happened so far. Um, yeah. I, I think was basically what I like his first round one wide receivers not going to be concerned that they haven't produced. I don't think he's got any concerns about JSN. Like you said, at this point, it's probably too early, but if we get through a full season of this with JSN, maybe we have to have a different conversation. Jacob, Jacob, take it away with Puka Nakua. Yeah, we are going to talk about a lot of rookie receivers and I want to jump right in with uh, Puka Nakua and Zay Flowers. I think both guys have really performed well and have a lot of really cool underlying data. Flowers hasn't had the results that Nakua has, obviously, um, I want to parallel these two because they've both been significantly better against zone coverage. Uh, Puka Nakua has a 33% target per route run rate versus zone coverage compared to 20% versus man. Way more efficient versus zone coverage as well. And I think that that role makes sense for him. Um, we did see in college he was a little bit better against zone as well, but he's still good versus man. Um, so I just I wanted to bring that side of Puka up because obviously we know all the other stuff like he's third in the entire NFL in target per route run rate. He's second in open or wide open targets per fantasy points data suite. Uh, even with Cooper cutback, he's drawn targets um, first read targets at a really high rate. So like within the offense, he's clearly playing a fantasy relevant role. He's not going away. And we can see already that like he has the ability to be a highly productive fantasy receiver. So I think you have to put him in the top 20, 24 for dynasty going forward. But like, can he push, beyond that because a lot of his historically elite stuff to start his career is like totally unprecedented and would potentially imply that he's a special player but like just the fact that he's not beating man coverage to me is like maybe let's slow down with that a little bit it's mostly been inflated by the role i think he has been beating man coverage like okay in an isolation standpoint uh um, especially yes. like the first yes. few weeks of the season <laughs> yeah it was really look I'm, I'm gonna be barking up the right tree here with puka nakua stuff <laughs> Um, for me, I, I think you do see ability to beat man coverage, ability to beat press coverage. Um, look, he's not playing outside, even as the flanker. He's not going to play outside if he's got real issues against um, man coverage. That would not have been the role they placed him in to start the season. And that's what's always been so important about Puka. And I know this is kind of like rehashing old stuff because we're six weeks into the season now. But, you know, in the first couple of weeks, it's like, oh, is he in the Cooper Cup role? No, he's not at all, which a cup is. I mean, like efficiency wise, I'm not sure, but, you know, from just an individual player standpoint, he has been always so much better and like one of the best in reception perception history at beating zone coverage and consistently working open against zone coverage. Uh, So he's been that big like slot receiver that they move around the formation and they move Puka around a little bit, too, but he's almost more of just that pure flanker type. So Mm. he, he certainly has great ability to get open against zone coverage and understanding and timing and the routes and everything. But you certainly, even that week one game against the Seattle Seahawks, which I think now six weeks into the season, we can say Seahawks have some pretty good cornerbacks. You know, Tariq Woolen's a good player. Uh, the rookie Devin Witherspoon's yeah. a good player. Um, like they, they have a pretty good defense overall. He was beating man coverage even that first week. So I don't really have any questions with that. And on top of that, that was one of my favorite parts about Puka as a prospect and why I really liked him as a prospect so much, obviously not expecting what he's done so far, but he had a 74% success rate versus man in the games that I charted for him for reception perception. He had a pretty good profile there beating man and press. And mm-hmm. I think that's been the reason that he has stuck so far in the NFL. Love that. It's probably a small sample size thing then with the splits. So with that in mind, like how would you compare him to somebody like Christian Watson, Nico Collins, some of these younger guys who are playing really well, but I think have more, um, wide range of outcomes with the type of archetype that they are compared to Puka who can kind of get open everywhere. Like long-term outlook for like dynasty, like 
him compared to God. those guys, or even like Jordan Addison or JSN, like has he vaulted ahead of those guys for yeah, you? Or? A, a great question. The first two guys, particularly, um, you know this, Jacob. I'm a longtime Nico fan, uh, yeah. and so <laughs> I, Nico's been a guy that since the midseason rookie report in 2021, when he came in, I've been like higher than consensus on Nico Collins. Which, by the way, that's another thing I'll be working up for these guys as well that will go on the site probably early November. Uh, the in-season rookie report, like uh, some of these guys have mini samples on the site, but they'll be kind of more fully profiled there. Um, man, Nico versus Puka is interesting. I do think the big X receiver, you know, can beat man press coverage archetype that Nico falls into is super, super valuable and shouldn't be understated. By the way, like CJ Stroud, it looks like such a dude. We can't even really, yeah, I, and he's going to be there. You'd, imagine for quite some time nico collins right because they have such a good thing going on there i think i'd still rather have nico but I, that's because i've been such a nico guy for a long time watson is really interesting and, and this would have been like heresy if we had said that if, imagine having this conversation in august right <laughs> like <laughs> fukunuku or christian watson in dynasty but i think it's worth a legitimate question because i'm with you that watson to me fits that bucket of like volatile number two receiver in the NFL, not like a true one. Whereas mm. I think Puka, maybe he's not a true one either. I, I think that's an open question, but he is a guy that is consistent and steady as a player. So I think I'd probably rather have Puka right now than, than Christian are, Watson. Are, are you able to like separate Puka from the, the situation completely? Because we, and we've seen it like not just with Cooper Cup, but the Sean McVay offense, and even once since Stafford's been there, like we have these stretches of four to six, eight weeks where they find something. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody remembers the Tyler Higby month and a half where they find something and they I'm just. Tr- I'm trying to forget. It. I'm still trying to forget that. <laughs> they they just hammer it over and over and over and over until somebody does something about it. Um, mm-hmm. is, is there any of that here at all, or it's just 100% legitimate with Puka? Honestly. I would argue that they have not really found their way completely offensively because if you just right. look at like their first and second half splits so far this year, and that wasn't really the case last year where he was um, the, the offense was pretty consistent wire to wire. Um, you know, it was against the Cardinals and everything. I, I think that's worth mentioning. But like the weeks two to five specifically were pretty volatile. Um, from the first half, second half splits. So I still think they're kind of troubleshooting and figuring things out in real time with these guys. I think that Puka is legitimately a very, very good player. I do understand, and I'm with you, that the ceiling of the player, I think, is still in question. All right. I want to give some notes on Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers and then compare, just kind of use Puka and some of the guys we've been talking about and kind of compare them. I'm curious where you have these guys ranked as well, Heath. So Zay Flowers, like I said, has been much better against zone. And that was something I saw in college as well. I think you liked what you saw against man coverage in college, right, Matt, from Zay Flowers? Yeah, yeah. And and so far in the NFL, too. I think he just needs to work a little bit in like the intermediate area because it's been a little hit and miss so far in the intermediate area where he's been very good short and underneath. He's been actually really good on like big boy outside breaking routes, mm-hmm. corner routes, out routes, comeback routes, stuff like that. But um, it's mostly been deep and mostly been short. I think there's still a little bit of a lack, lacking of um, true full nuance from a route running perspective in the intermediate area. I've just been shocked at his ability to demand volume. He's like immediately supplanted Mark Andrews as the top target in this offense. And really, I was a little bit worried about Flowers coming to the NFL because 
obviously he had questionable quarterback play, but he wasn't someone who ever like dominated the targets in the way I would have liked to see when he was in college. Um, but that's not been the case. He has a 28% target share compared to 24% for Mark Andrews when both players are on the field. So that's not even being inflated by week one. 36% air yards for Zay Flowers, 23% for Andrews when both players are on the field. That's way down for Andrews. So we're seeing Flowers, clearly the primary guy working the intermediate and deep area of the field like you talked about. I think everything we've seen from him is super, super exciting. Mm-hmm. Jordan Addison, I am not as enthused with what we've seen so far. We both had concerns about his ability to beat press coverage and win on the perimeter when kind of true wide receiver one situations, which is why the landing spot next to Justin Jefferson was perfect. And then now he's going to have to fill a different type of role than he was drafted to fill. And I don't know if he's going to do very well with that. His per route data is not good. You see it on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. 17% target per route run rate, only 1.39 yards per route run. He's only been above 20% target per route run rate in one game. It was only 15% in the first game without Justin Jefferson. So I, I don't love what we've seen from him. And he, they haven't been putting him in this slot as much as I thought that they would. And I, I would really love if we could see more free releases. You know, we've got O'Connell from the Sean McVay tree. Like I thought we might see more priest that motion to get him free releases, but like they're kind of just asking him to go win as the wide receiver one. And I don't know how well that's going to go. Um, I, to me, he's like, I think we're approaching Zay Flowers over him and Quentin Johnson like definitely short-term and potentially even long-term. And I'm curious how, what you guys, like if you're regrouping this rookie class at all at the top end. A slightly unfair question for me because I had Zay Flowers over those guys uh, oh, wow. to begin with um, as, as prospects. Like if you look at my three-year stack board on the site, I had Zay Flowers above Jordan Addison and above Quentin Johnson. They're in the same tier though. So it's kind of like whatever, but um I was a huge fan of Zay Flowers. I do think with Addison, your points about press coverage, that was the biggest issue in his reception perception profile from a collegiate standpoint. 17th percentile success rate versus press. So far in the NFL, 48.7% success rate versus press in weeks one, two, three, and five, which is the four game I've sampled so far. That score from 2022 would have been best or would have bested only DJ Chark in the database of like, you know, 50, 60 receivers that I sampled last year. So um, not exactly great. Not a good start there. I think he's a good player. I think he if you can give him off man coverage and like those free releases you mentioned, he can really eat up space. I think bad defenses he's going to tear up. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm certainly with you that the the ceiling question is is tough there. And I think obviously now with Justin Jefferson, like you don't just replace a Justin Jefferson player. You, your offense right. completely transforms without him. So I think continuing to track his progress in that role will be really fascinating. Yeah. I haven't seen anything that caused me to, to be more down on Addison than before. Like the concerns are the concerns. And I, I do wonder Matt, and, and you can kind of follow up when I'm done with, is that something that guys who come into the league and aren't very good at it or rookies who struggle with it improve on or can improve on throughout their career? Or is just you can't beat press coverage, you can't beat press coverage? As far as the Quentin Johnston discussion, maybe we just go into that. But I, I agree with Flowers over Johnston, Addison over Johnston. I, if you had concerns about him coming into the year, all of those have been validated. Like there's no, there's not a whole lot of reason for hope, but as far as Addison, especially with the target per route run stuff, like how how high do we expect his targets per route run data to be playing with Justin Jefferson? Uh, uh, Heath, Heath, 
Adam Thielen was supposed to be washed because he had a low targets per route run. It's like, yeah, well, no kidding. He's not going to get a lot of targets per route run because the other guy across from him is going to demand like one of the, some of the most tar- hard, highly target totals in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, I think his targets per route run data, like we can't, we of course have to recognize that targets per route run is going to be influenced by the players around, around you. So if, Justin Jefferson's out for the next four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, you know, freaking knock on wood. It's not that long, but we'll see however long he is out. Then I think the targets per route run um, are going to matter a lot. Although I will say like, yo, Kirk is going to dump that ball off to TJ Hawkinson. Okay. Yep. On stick routes and, and little hitches and stuff like that. That is 100% going to continue to happen. So um, I think that that will be really critical in, in the Jordan Addison targets per route run discussion. I think, the, the the press concerns are real because it's it's what we saw in college from him and it's what we've seen in the NFL. He would probably have to become like a master A tier technician to continue to get better at that, which is by the way totally possible. Uh, I don't know him and I don't know his work ethic and stuff like that. That would be a total guess on my part. But because he's like a you know not a, I don't think he's an exceptionally special athlete and he's a smaller framed guy. Like he can definitely get eaten up by by big corners on the outside. We saw like Devonte Smith improve versus press. Um, I think he's that's someone I try to compare to, but Devonte was clearly better at versus press coming in. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, he was. Uh, I think the number one receiver I tracked in that draft class in success rate versus press. So, um, I that's obviously like the high water mark for for a player like Addison if he's going to get to there. If you want to talk about Quentin Johnson, yeah, that's that's sort of similar where. <sighs> Here's the deal. Like the Chargers, I don't think we're counting on Quentin Johnson to produce as a mm-hmm. rookie, which you could then sit there and say, well, why did they draft Quentin Johnson in the first <laughs> round <laughs> when you're a team that is a is a is a win now player? Um, you know, that being said, <laughs> I, I I would probably would have taken Zay Flowers. I probably would have taken, you know, some of these other guys ahead of Quentin Johnson, but they took Johnson. And I also kind of think that they are let me say this the right way. They're they're now forced to count on him because Mike Williams is out, but he's not a Mike Williams player. And that, that's really what's concerning about this is that I think they took him to have him become somebody else than he was in college, right? In college, he was like a yak merchant and and get him on these like quick hitting things. And people have talked like, well, why don't they get him some of that stuff so far this year? It's like, well, because number one, it disrupts the flow of your offense. Um, that's why like guys, you know, that don't, these gadget players aren't consistently targeted at a really high rate. They're, they're targeted at a high rate when they're on the field and stuff like that, but it can disrupt the flow of the offense and they don't get consistent playing time for the most part. And I think that would be a good way to get him going, but they want him to develop and become like a real downfield route runner. The signs so far have not been good. And I don't think that, I don't think they're at a point where suddenly like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a believer in the post by rookie bump, but I'm sure you guys are too, yep. but it also came for him in week four and it's not magic, right? Like he doesn't just suddenly become a different player just because they went on a bye week. And I think we're seeing the results of that based on what we watched last night. Yeah. Speaking of downfield route runners, I want to hear your opinion on Michael Wilson um, in Arizona rookie. He had some of the worst data that i've seen of any of the prospects evaluated it's basically jonathan mingo and then him um so do you have any thoughts on what you've seen from him so far 
I, I kind of like what I've seen from Michael Wilson so far, like, you know, within a certain level of context. Do I think, you know, Michael Wilson looks like he's probably going to be, you know, a superstar? I don't know about that, but he does look like he's going to be a useful player. Uh, I also kind of like that they have lined him up at X. They've also lined him up as a slot player at times. Um, he's shown an ability to beat man coverage. He's shown an ability to kind of stack and win on vertical routes. He's shown an ability to win in tight situations. He had two really good games. The two games that I sampled for him um, are uh, came against Dallas and San Francisco, which is pretty impressive. They're two of the best defenses in the league. Josh Downs. We've got to talk about Josh Downs. You mentioned at the top, he's one of your favorite players. He's awesome in contested catch situations. Obviously, he's awesome against man coverage. That's carried over. I think you had him first in this rookie class in man coverage success at the college level. Yep. That's yep. nuts. Yeah, he's looked so good. Like, I'm, I'm curious what you think, what you've seen from him, and like what the ceiling is for this type of a player. Like, I, I feel like when I was valuing his prospect, I compared him to like Elijah Moore mm-hmm. and like a better version of like Sky Moore. Like, it, does that sound about right, or do you think he can be more than that? Yeah, I think he's a better college prospect than um, those guys, uh, or at least was a better college route runner than those guys uh, from from the slot perspective. I, mean, I really did like Elijah Moore at the time, and his career has yeah. just been so weird so far. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell with him. Um, but Josh Downs, I think, shows an, a great ability to beat man and zone and press, despite the fact he's probably going to be a slot guy. Like I think he is more along the Tyler Lockett access than the, you know, like Wandale Robinson guys, like these sort of low average depth of target, um, gadgety type slot players, like the, the bunny hop slot players. Um, yeah. So I, I really like what I've seen out of Josh Downs. I think him and Pittman are a really nice duo and kind of probably a pretty underrated group because they're both really good separators, but in very different ways. So yeah, I, I think, Man, I'm very excited about what I've seen from Josh Downs so far. I, I do look forward to the uh, Harmon tweet storm if the Colts' rumors about trading for Jerry Judy come true. And wow. we've got a, a Pittman-Judy-Downs trio. But I will say, like as somebody who does not chart wide receiver routes, just watching that game on Sunday and the route that Downs ran on his touchdown. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, wow. He's, not, he's doing that. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing that. Like, like Jacob said, he's doing it a lot. Uh, he's a consistent separator. I mean, I, I know it's a Titans defense, but he was open like on almost every play at the, against the Titans in that, in that game where he kind of had one of his breakout performances. So um, yeah, he's a player I'm very excited about long-term. I think that red zone stuff could become a real thing because he's just so good in tight spaces. Not to mention too, he, you mentioned the number one success rate versus man in the class. He was also the number one in contested catch rate in, in the class for me, because it was, despite the fact that he's like a tiny little guy uh, because he's just so tough. And so, um, technically strong at the catch point as well i think his ceiling is probably going to go underlooked um throughout the course of the season I, I, you, you said something i want to i want to stay there for a second because i've been thinking about this with quarterbacks a lot and i want to i want to hear your thoughts on it with wide receivers this idea of a red zone success like i don't think anybody the common fantasy football player would look at josh downs mm-hmm. height and weight and think, ooh, red zone threat. Because the the, the common perception is it's the, it's the big guys. You know, we're going to throw the jump balls to the corner. But we've seen another team in that division, Jacksonville, um, struggle so much in the red zone. And like, I don't know, six, seven passes that have been caught out of bounds now. What What is it about wide receivers that you're looking at that makes you think this guy could really have a lot of success in the red zone? 
Well, this is great part to talk sort of about how the entire league has shifted more towards zone coverage in the last few years. Like it's more of a zone heavy league than it was in, you know, like 2015, 2016, 2017. Um, that being said, I think people then look at it and like, okay, well, the ability to beat man coverage is not as important. It's still the most important thing in in like a receiver's profile to me, number one, because it's shown at least in reception perception to be more historically predictive of future success than, than ability to beat zone coverage. But two, man coverage rates rise in high leverage situations, third down, fourth down, uh, inside the red zone, inside end zone targets, stuff like that. So that ability to beat a guy like one-on-one from a slot perspective or, or even from that X receiver perspective is still very, very critical there. Um, and I think there is a lot that like Jacksonville is actually a really good example of this heat that I think their receiver usage has been very static. Like they just kind of like line Ridley up as the X Kirk is the slot. And then they've got, you know, Zay Jones when he's available as, as sort of like an off ball guy that Christian Kirk and him can sort of alternate spots. I think they'd be smart, you know, far be it for me to tell like Doug Peterson what to do, but uh, you know, <laughs> I think they'd be wise to like kind of, move Ridley around and get him on some of those like ISO red zone routes and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot that coaches can do to get these guys freed up, but like in the red zone, it, it is, it certainly helps when you have a, a big boy that you can, you know, throw the ball up to, but those are pretty low percentage throws and it's a rather high percentage throw. If you can get a guy like Josh Downs to just, you know, whip a guy in one-on-one coverage. To Matt's point, um, when outside of the red zone, Teams are using man coverage 21% of the time. Inside the red zone, it's 33%. Inside the 10, it's 39%. Yeah. Um, so uh, being able to beat one-on-one coverage there is definitely important. And I'm glad that you highlighted this, Heath, because when he said that, who came to mind for me was Tank Dell. I think both those guys, like, Tank Dell scored a ton of touchdowns in college. I think both those guys can just beat one guy, can just shake one guy and get open. Um, and then Downs particularly is, like, good on the contested catches as well. Um, I just want to talk about tank Dell. So like downs, Dell, Jaden Reed, Rishi rice. I kind of want to stick with that group right there. Cause I think they're really interesting going into the draft pre-draft. I had downs higher than all of those guys. And then I ended up moving Jaden Reed and rice. And I think maybe Dell ahead of him as well. When I, we got the landing spots, I was worried about volume um, in Indianapolis's offense, but how would you guys rank those four at this point? We've seen encouraging signs from all of them. Yeah, I can go. I can go first Um, because I actually have my rankings. I think I have Dell the highest. Yeah, I have it. Tank Dell, and then Rasheed Rice, and then Jane Reed, and then Josh Downs. Which feels wrong because we've been like having right. No, I've got Dell and Downs um, quite uh, considerably ahead of the other two. And I have Reed quite a ways behind Rice, so it's 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 Dell and Downs, and then Rice, and then Reed for me. I think I I think Downs is probably when I do my latest dynasty rankings is going to be the top guy because he was the best right. prospect of these players, and I actually had him in the same tier as Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison, and Zay Flowers. Like I really like wow. Josh Downs as a prospect. I think he'll probably be the highest ranked of those guys. Post draft, I did bump Jaden Reed quite a bit up because I like the landing spot. I think he has an ability to climb that depth chart. I still think that's true. So I probably will have him second and then Dell and rice is really hard to, to parse out. Cause I really do like what I've seen out of tank Dell so far. 
71.4% success rate versus man in weeks two and week three. Uh, like you said, that ability to beat man coverage, especially from a downfield route running perspective, has been really impressive. Um, he's certainly not a, a slot guy. He's he's probably more of like the consummate flanker in that um, receiver core. I still just think like Nico's a better player and probably has a higher ceiling long term. So he's kind of like pigeonholed there a little bit. Rasheed Rice is really interesting because Rice is – collegiate profile was not good uh but mm-hmm. he did play with an injury throughout the course of like almost every game that i charted i had somebody reach out to, to me about that like basically right after i published it so that was worth uh worth noting there that 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 injury might have ruined his his separation stuff and like especially his contested catch stuff and and so far he's been really um impressive in limited looks but before we go crazy about like his per route data and stuff like that. <laughs> I really do want people to go watch the Rasheed Rice plays. Like it's kind of the same play every single time. It's just a slant <laughs> route over the middle against zone coverage. And hey, to his credit, number one, that's really good. Number two, I mean, he is going to crush at least one dude after the catch basically every single time. If he catches it, he does have to clean up the, some of the drops and stuff like that. But they've got a very specific like idea for him right so far where like let's get him on these routes over the middle of the field slant routes from the slot and let's get the ball in his hands because he can make stuff happen in like a real wide receiver way not a Kadarius Tony type of way Mm -hmm. Uh, like a real wide receiver and I think Rasheed Rice has shown and a really good ability to beat zone coverage by the way his success rate for zones really impressive in the games I've charted so far so I I'm very excited about what I've seen with Rasheed Rice I think I want to see more from him and and again let me say what I said about Doug Peterson, far be it from me to question like Andy Reid's, uh, you know, ideas on offense. But I'd love to see Rasheed Rice run as like more an outside receiver and run like big, deep over routes and deep posts and digs and stuff like that. Cause I think he can make plays there. Um, and I like, I mean, using Sky Moore as an outside receiver is like, I don't know what the hell they're, they're thinking is going to happen there. I, I, I like Sky Moore as a prospect, but he's not going to, he can't survive on the outside in the, in the NFL. Like it just makes no sense. So I'd almost kind of like to see those guys flip their positional roles. I've seen enough of MBS and, and all that stuff. So I'm talking a lot about Rasheed Rice. because I think you can go a lot of different directions right. by, about what we've seen so far, but bottom line is we've seen a lot of good. So I think I'd probably have Rice over Dell, but I'm not very convinced about that. I, I and I don't. I'm going to do this thing that I do all the time because I, I see the tweets in my mind from weeks ago, and I don't see the the handle. Um, so I don't know who to give credit to this idea that the yeah, Chiefs just, are. People are saying people. I, that people just, you just, <laughs> yes, people, people are, are saying. saying um, <laughs> and I and I feel like it might have been one of you guys in this conversation that the Chiefs are kind of hacking per route data. Oh, that was because me. I, I yeah, said their no, whole their whole offense is uh, you can. I'm the people that are saying uh, that was that was Matt quote retweeting me. Yeah, so <laughs> we're we're the guys. We're, we're the, the people, people saying. We're the people yes. that are saying. It's like their whole offense is designed to hack per route data because yes. yeah, they, like you're gonna make the point here that the, like more and and MVS are running a ton of routes and and not getting any looks, but then like all right, now Rasheed Rice is on the field. Let's get him the ball. Like now Kadarius Tony's on the field. Let's throw him a screen. So it is like whacking out the data for sure. Matt, you never need to apologize for talking too much about Rasheed Rice. I got the notes done and realized I didn't have any like detailed section for Rasheed Rice. And I'm like, I got to put this in there for Heath. So you guys were both lower on Dell than I expected. I actually have him at the top of this rank because I feel like his, you mentioned his 77% of his routes are coming out wide. And the potential for him to be someone who's more than just the slot guy or more than just the complimentary to like 
Jordan Addison, like Josh Downs, I wonder if he maybe has a higher ceiling than those guys. Um, do you think he's dependent on Nico Collins and is only going to be like a compliment type of piece? Or do you think Dell could actually be like the wide receiver one in an offense? Cause he's operated as the one on a few games, but we're just dealing with such small sample sizes that I don't right. want to overreact. Yeah. Like you can almost do anything with like a four or five game sample size. And, and obviously I think he's only played five games so far cause he missed last week. But, um, yeah, I mean, there th- there's probably going to be games where he has more targets than Nico Collins. That that can happen in almost any receiver core. I do think he probably profiles long term as a number two. Okay, so long term upside pretty comparable to like Downs. Yeah, I just like Downs more as a player. Yeah, but that's, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that's uh, that's that's great stuff. We got a couple of rookies we didn't quite get to, but I do want to make sure. Like, there's a couple of second year wide receivers that we've got to talk about. We need to get a quick break in. Got about 15 minutes left. We're, we'll work through these guys as quick as we can. I just, just real quick thoughts, Matt. And I think we kind of touched on JSN. We're not really moving what we think about him. We talked about Quinton Johnston, um, Marvin Mims, Sean Payton. Um, are, are you hopeful that Mims could be a, a, a full-time player at some point, or is he just that deep shot guy, the, the big play guy that's, that's probably not going to play 75% of the snaps ever? I think he could probably be a 75% snap guy. I don't know that he has upside to be like a one or, or anything like that, but I think he can be a full-time player. And I mean, my God, if, and when we get a Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton trade and, and we're still right. getting like Brandon Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey, didn't they sign Traquan Smith to another, you know, Sean Payton saints crony. Yeah. Like if we're still getting those guys playing over Marvin Mims, I mean, then we really got to ask questions. But again, I still feel like I'm going to be asking the questions about Sean Payton and not the questions about Marvin Mims. I'm going to have to see Marvin Mims with somebody else. Before. It's so bizarre yeah. that they that this is like Sean Payton's guy that he trades up for in his first draft right. pick, and like somehow this is the guy we're we're complaining about not being on the field. It's it's especially because the other receivers haven't been good. Like that's another thing too. So um, yeah, I I'm with you, Heath. That I'm I'm like raising I'm raising my eyebrows at the Sean Payton experience for a lot of different reasons, but yeah. this is certainly one of them. Let's take a short break and then talk about George Pickens. Okay, so George Pickens, has, I've been all over the place on this guy. And and a lot of it was the fact that, and Jacobs highlighted this on Twitter over and over and over again. Like, they basically had him run two or three routes all year last year. Mm-hmm. And then in the preseason, we basically saw him running two or three routes. And it didn't see a whole lot of improvement until Deontay Johnson got hurt. And then he's kind of looked over the last couple of weeks like he's shown me some things that he can do. And now Deontay Johnson's probably coming back. And I'm I'm a little bit lost on George Pickens as to whether is there actually wide receiver one upside there. I understand why people get super excited. His catches are more fun to watch than the average NFL wide receiver. Or do you think he's just going to go right back to that field stretcher role? I don't think he'll totally go back to like a field stretcher only role. I mean, now we'll put anything past Matt Canada. Uh, I, I want it on the record that like I hated Matt Canada's offense before it was cool for everybody to hate Matt Canada's <laughs> offense and like try to go viral with every sort of anti Matt Canada thing out there. Um, you know, so I won't put anything past the guy, but I do think it would be kind of crazy if he goes back to only running clear out routes and only getting targets on clear out routes. Um, I sampled two games for George Pickens. It was the Ravens game and the Texans game. So like a good mix there of a really good game winning performance and then a not so great performance to 25 yards right on three catches. 
And in those two games, 28.4% of his routes were go routes, 11.9% of his routes were corner routes, 10.4% of his routes were post routes. So again, these big vertical routes. And it's it's a little bit of a weird thing, Heath, because number one, you can't really even have a rational conversation about George Pickens, especially on the internet, uh, because you either have to say that he's like the greatest player ever. He's like the next AJ Green and maybe better like he's secretly a top five receiver and you you all are too dumb to to notice it uh or you have to say that like he can't get open at all and he sucks like you you know he's he's overrated only opi stuff like that so can't really have a rational conversation about george pickens but it is weird that like people want him running all these other different routes and generally i think if you want him to produce for fantasy you want him running other routes but at the same time like he's really good on deep routes and he makes his best plays on deep routes so like is it make does it make a ton of sense to have him run a bunch of like slants and flat routes? Probably not. I don't think so. Um, you can certainly get him on some crossing routes and stuff like that. That would be great. That'd be good to see. But he also has to get better at, at separating on those if if he wants to be like a high targeted player. Um, my thing with George Pickens, like, does it hurt your feelings if I say that he's like Mike Williams? Like that's his that's his that's his best player comparison. Because if it does, I think. I don't know. That's kind of how I view him as a player. I think he's probably like in the Mike Williams mold based on what I've seen through one and a little more than a quarter season in the NFL than than like the next AJ Green or something like that. But he's certainly not like DJ Chark either. You know, we're talking about X receiver profile. I, I, I perpetually thought that Mike Williams was just about to be better than he'd ever been as well. So it's a perfect comp actually. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another guy, and you referenced him at the top, and, and Jacob and I have been waiting. So Jahan Dotson um, loved everything about him coming into the NFL. Loved like what he did, especially in those last four or five games of last year. Really thought special things were possible coming into this year. And it's just like not only is he clearly behind Terry McLaurin, but Curtis Samuel is is outperforming him and out-targeting him. He's the he's the third at best option in an offense that seems to want to throw to tight ends more than wide receivers anyway. Like, does it just like put Jahan Dotson on your bench and hope that something's different in next year? Yeah, I think that's probably how it is because one, I think he's a really good player, and I think he was a good player in college. He was a good player as a rookie, and I, I think he had a really bad game against the Falcons last week. Right, he gets one target and he drops it, and it's brutal and stuff like that. But by and large, especially to start the year, I thought he was playing extremely well. Uh, like the first two weeks for him, seventy-six point nine percent success rate versus man, eighty percent success rate versus press, and they were using him like in the slot. They were using him outside. So I think the player is still good. And so generally my advice to um, to dynasty managers or, or people that like want to hold on to their Jahan Dotson stock or any player like this is, yeah, it'll, it'll probably be fine because he's a good player. Um, I do think we got a little over our skis with Dotson in, in like the offseason and the preseason, which, you know, to be fair, they just featured him a ton in the preseason. I'm, I'm kind of ready to cancel the preseason, like or cancel yes. like, fantasy analysis off the preseason because has there any, been any storyline from preseason that's that's aged well? Like Christian Kirk's not playing in two receiver sets in the preseason. Oh no. Well, that, that hasn't aged. Well, this John Dotson excitement hasn't aged. Well, I, I literally tweeted last year instead on the podcast. I, my analysis would have been better this year if I had just completely missed the preseason. The and then I reacted to things dominator. in the preseason again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know it's hard not to, because we're <laughs> excited. Right. And it is like, it is a clue. I think that's the thing is it, 
here's here's a good here's a like preseason and the Calvin Ridley thing is a great example. Um, I think Calvin Ridley's played well this year outside of a couple drops and he's been fine. But I do think that like I came into the year excited about Calvin Ridley's role in the Jags offense and I generally think that role has come to fruition and he's been a good player in that role. But the preseason I think caused me to double count like Calvin Ridley enthusiasm. Yeah. It's like yeah. Just take it as okay. You saw evidence that what you thought was going to happen is probably going to happen. Not like ooh, more is going to happen. So <laughs> I think that probably happened with Jahan Dotson too, and obviously Terry McLaurin's late season or late preseason injury also caused him, I think, to get steamed up a little higher than he probably should for have been. Sure. But if we just like remove all of that from our minds for a second, he's a good he's a good player. I think we can agree on that. Washington's offense is a little shaky. One, I don't think the enemy's done a great job with personnel usage. They've they've rotated these guys often on the field yep. way too much. Doesn't make any sense, well, especially when you've invested in your top three receivers. That doesn't make any sense. Um, also, by the way, like your quarterback's not on pace to take a bajillion sacks. If one, he's not a shaky player, and two, your protection designs are not very good either. Like something's wrong in both areas there. So shaky offense, shaky quarterback, new play caller, and also Curtis Samuel is good. Like Logan Thomas is good. These guys are not the the, the Deami Brown and Byron Pringle and Jameson Crowder stuff is a different conversation. <laughs> but like Curtis Samuel's a good player, man. And like I I'm the longest standing, you know, last guy on Curtis Samuel Island potentially. So I probably should have put more stock in that as well. I remember the DJ Moore Curtis Samuel battles uh, from <laughs> like six yeah. years ago. Um, the boy, ultimate, that... like you're allowed to like two receivers on the same <laughs> team, guys. Like you are, it is legally allowed. Jacob, you had some good stuff on Romeo Dobbs, and then I think you may have also in the notes called him a jag. And so I, I think, uh, <laughs> what did you have on him? And let's talk about the Packers wide receivers a little bit here before we get to the vets. Yeah, so talk about multiple receivers on the same team being likable. The Packers have some really cool wideouts here, and mostly I'm curious if Dobbs is a jag, if he's just a guy, and Jane Reed's rise is inevitable, or if he's good and the team really likes him and Jordan Love really likes him, because that's what it seems like to me. Uh, he has a team-high 26% first read target share on the year, which is the same range as DK Metcalf, Nico Collins, Calvin Ridley, his target per hour rates up from 21% to 24%. I I think Jordan Love really likes this guy. And so, like, have you seen anything from him? You said you just watched some of his recent stuff. He mostly seems like a contested catch winner, and I don't see much else from him. But, like, is he good enough to hold off Jane Reed? Uh, I, that depends on how Reed progresses, and I really like what I've seen out of Jaden Reed so far. So I do think that there's a lot of – um, potential upside for Jaden Reed just on Romeo Dobbs though like his numbers so far this season look a lot like how Romeo Dobbs looked in the midseason rookie report last year in reception perception if you pull up that sample like he's probably you know an average to slightly below average separator but not completely horrible if you look at his end of season numbers that's when he really tailed off, but mm -hmm. he also came back from like a high ankle sprain. And there was right. again, another potential injury situation there. I think Romeo seems like a really, really solid receiver. Like a not, I would, I don't know if like Jag is, it seems so disrespectful to, to call him a Jag, but like, yeah, he's a, he's a fine, he's fine. Right. Like I think that's, that's where I'd stand on Romeo Dobbs. It's like, he's a fine player that as a day three draft pick for the Packers, that's a huge win. 
Um, do I think he has a lot of upside to be like a, a number one receiver? Probably not. But I'm also asking the same question about Christian Watson. He's just a far more like exciting and explosive uh, player in his own right. So I think the Packers receiver core, like long term, I'm kind of ready to believe anything uh, with these guys. Like you could tell me by the end of the season that this player is the one or this player is the one or like the receiver distribution looks this way, that way. Or uh, I'd believe that or I'd believe that by the end of the season, we get like they need another body. They need another. They need to add another player here to kind of complete the room. I could also believe that as well. Yeah, to me, Reed is the one who's the best at like working multiple levels of the field and could legitimately be like a top target. But like also, there's not even really a clear path to playing time, it seems like, because they like the other two guys so much. Mm -hmm. It's kind of. I think they could be a frustrating like rotation team too. Um, Mm -hmm. And they also want to play two tight ends and like run the ball. So, and split Aaron Jones out and use him in creative ways. So, and we don't know how good Jordan Love is just yet. So, there's a lot of open questions with the Packers offense. So Calvin Ridley is a Jag, not not just a guy, but Jacksonville Jag. Oh. <laughs> um, and, and he, uh, you you kind of talked about him already, Matt. But I just want, like, do you see him as almost twenty nine years old in terms of dynasty as a guy who could still be a top twelve consistent wide receiver, or should we just be happy that they've got a pair of fantasy number two wide receivers on the team, and that should be the expectation? Ridley and Kirk are both starts every week, but not. Maybe there's not quite the elite upside that we thought three or four years ago in Dynasty there was for Calvin Ridley. Yeah, I mean, my podcast co-host on Reception Perception, James Coe, said that he finds it to be like disrespectful to the game that people think that um, – and by the way, he's like talking to me here. Like, this is a <laughs> conversation back and forth between he and I disrespectful to the game that we think that Calvin Ridley can just like miss a year and a half of football and come right back and be like a dominant producer. And so far he hasn't been, I don't think all of that is Ridley's fault. I think Ridley's been a really good player. And this is funny too, because like the expectation stuff is what we're talking about here. Um, Cause I think if you ask like any NFL analyst, they'd be like, yeah, Ridley's been a perfect addition for what the Jaguars needed, and he's been exactly what they were looking for. I think we, and I'm saying we, got out of over our skis about Calvin Ridley in the preseason and in training camp and stuff like that because, again, sort of double counting. He's exactly what they need, and they're going to remake their entire offense around this. That has not been the case. I think overall probably what you said, Heath, the second option there where two top 24 guys, two really good players because – by the way, Christian Kirk, this is like the second year in a row. Everybody's been super disrespectful to Christian Kirk. Um, he's a good player. He, he's he's a really good player who was good in Arizona and was people were way too mean. I said this, I said this at the time, at least, if I'm gonna give myself one piece of credit here while I'm flogging myself for the Ridley stuff. I did I mean Christian Kirk was they were people were too mean to him about that contract. Like he he's a, just a good player that they needed to bring in. And he's a good player they need to keep in their offense. So I think probably the second option is is the truth here with with Ridley. So we saved this for the 59-minute mark, but uh, Adam Thielen and DeAndre Hopkins, I like the way that when Jacob put the notes together, and again, thank you very much for doing that. He he wanted to put a special note that Heath wanted to ask about these guys. He doesn't want you <laughs> I don't to, talk to think about these guys. that Jacob's <laughs> asking about these guys. And that's kind of how Dynasty Fantasy Managers, I think, feel about these 30-year-old wide receivers, 31-year-old wide receivers. But the fact is, we're at week seven. There are teams that are contending for championships that are looking for one more piece to add at wide receiver or running back and and 30 plus year old wide receivers a little bit cheaper sometimes than than adding a running back. So I I do want your thoughts on like, is this anywhere close to prime feeling? Is it pretty much just a role thing? Uh, It's not just a role thing, but I do think him moving into this role has been really critical. Uh, I 
said this on our podcast last week that the truth is somewhere in the middle here with Adam Thielen where last year it's, oh, he's washed because of the targets per route run stuff that we mentioned. That was not true. But then if you look at his numbers this year, you're like, he is balling out. I don't think that's necessarily true either. The team is 0-6, okay? If they had a receiver that was balling out, they wouldn't be 0-6. They have a guy who's very productive, who's crushing it in this role, who is still a very viable NFL zone coverage beater and can, and isn't like hopeless against man coverage. Some of their other receivers on the roster are hopeless against man coverage. Adam Thielen is not. He is a very solid NFL receiver, like a guy, a guy that you are not embarrassed to be your starting NFL receiver if you're the Carolina Panthers. You're embarrassed about way more things than that right now. Um, so overall, I think that's kind of where Adam Thielen stands. And I do expect this to continue as long as he's out there and they need like a Jonathan Mingo type to step up because he's He's probably the only one that they that they can count on to to progress a little bit going forward. Um, so I think that's like the the answer with with Adam Thielen. Yeah, that it's, yeah, it's it's he's gonna he's gonna continue to do this. I, I wouldn't say it's like anything crazy impressive because the team stinks. But from a fantasy perspective, those numbers count all the same. Well, and I think one of the questions about him coming into this year, and I, he was just a complete after that. In fact, people were making fun of those people who were drafting Adam Thielen in the double digit rounds in redraft yes. because why are you drafting Adam Thielen at all? Uh, well, this is why uh, it, Heath, he, he, people made fun of me for, I posted an Adam Thielen video <laughs> after and like, wow, you're re- overreacting to this. That was a preseason overreaction. That was worth it. If you remember like him getting, you know, targeted like crazy uh, yeah. in, in, in the preseason. So I was literally like made fun of for like, oh, this is how you know the seasons has been gone on to a preseason gone on too long. The season needs to start because we're getting Adam Thielen hype. Like, I don't know, man. He can produce probably in this role. And 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 so far, yes. Yeah, it's like he's boring and like no upside, but again, the points count the same. Right. So the, the one of the valid concerns about him with his age and his history is is that he might get hurt at some point this year. Like everybody might get hurt. Is there anybody in this Carolina receiving core that if he does go down? has the ability to 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 be fantasy viable yeah so i've looked at one game for mingo so far and it was just the the most recent game against the dolphins uh i do think mingo is a player that has to be used in the right role uh talked about that in his college profile i think is an off-ball player who can be a flanker that you move into the slot sometimes he can successfully be put in that role that is kind of the role that adam thielen is playing right now though so um, although he's more primary slot and, and mingo is more primary flanker um those two guys are I think Mingo, he's a guy that could see a legit like growth throughout the course of the season. I think he will look like a much different player. And I don't even think he's looked bad necessarily so right. far. He's just been unproductive because the Panthers offense can't do anything other than throw the ball to Adam Thielen. Um, Bryce doesn't have time to do anything else back there. Uh, and, and there's a huge gap in even how well Thielen's playing and how well Mingo's playing as an individual player. So I've got hope for Mingo long term. But like TJ Chark, no. Terrace Marshall, I can't be- – look, Frank Reich deserves a lot of crap for a few things so far this year, but I can't believe reporters were like on him for Terrace Marshall not playing a couple of weeks ago. Like, <laughs> yo, give me a break. Uh, it's not Terrace Marshall. And even like I don't wish injury on anybody, right? You're a sicko if you do. Um, but removing the temptation of the like LaVisca Chenault gadget stuff from this offense is probably not the worst thing in the world because – I usually say with guys like LaVisco, when you see um, like a head coach say in a press conference, uh, we got to find ways to get him more involved. I'm like that's kind of a signal that you're out of ideas when it's like, all right, we need more juice. Like <laughs> let's get LaVisca Chenault involved. So I think the only guy I have hope for here is Mingo. Did not expect LaVisca Chenault to catch strays on today's show, <laughs> but there it is. L- last, last guy here. And, and it was a sad, 
sad week six for DeAndre Hopkins. Ryan Tannehill's got a high ankle sprain. It's been an, a roller coaster for Hopkins, but more more bad than good. Is is there are there negative signs about him, or is this just a situation quarterback thing? I think it's just a situation quarterback thing. Okay. Like Tannehill hasn't played well this year generally like hilarious that there was any sort of like oh the jets can get ryan Tannehill. maybe there'll be a playoff team's like are you watching ryan Tannehill play right now um we'll see if will levis can support ryan or excuse me deandre hopkins if he gets in there because it's probably not malik willis he's like sam howell if if he actually had like athleticism uh, that's what that Sam Howell would play like Malik Willis, but it, and I, I kind of mean that as a as a, as a strike on both players in a weird way. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know it, that that situation is rough. I almost kind of think that he sh- can, can he get traded at the deadline. Is he somebody that could get moved because right. now the Titans have paid the money? Could he go to Kansas City? Because I think Hopkins could play another like three years and Good. maybe even be like an Adam Thielen type, right? Like who. In three years from now, we're talking about I can't believe DeAndre Hopkins is catching, you know, nine passes as some young quarterback slot receiver. It's just probably not going to happen in Tennessee unless Will Levis is ready to rock. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Thank you so much, Matt. I know how busy you are this time of year, so I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you, Jacob Gibbs, for for everything you know it's it's been a a fantastic uh hour here and uh thank you everybody who's listening and we will talk to you next tuesday